collection of readings from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hand service, her hard service, has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, none of them is missing. This is a word of the Lord. So we uh, condense this morning's reading somewhat. We're looking at the whole of Isaiah 40, um, but uh, there's a lot in there, too much to, to read in one go. And we're actually going to focus on verses 1 to 9, uh, but we'll touch on all of it. Uh, because the latter two-thirds of this chapter gives us a lot of context for what we're going to discuss. Uh, because they point to God's creative power, his wisdom, and his knowledge. So we heard things there like verse 12, his hand marked off the heavens. Verse 22, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Or verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? I've actually found a video uh, that gives a bit of uh, perspective to this. uh, Because it's easy to say God created the heavens and the earth. But let's be reminded by what about what that actually means. So if we dim the lights... Um, we're going to have this video in a moment, and I want us to use, it's a three minute video, but I want us to use this as like a, a reflection or meditation on the goodness, the glory, the power, and the wisdom 
of our creator God. So let's uh, just enjoy this video as we begin. So the authors of the Bible were in awe of creation, and uh, arguably we've got even more reason to be in awe of God's creation. I mean, in the book of Genesis, um, there's, a, there's a, just a, almost like a throwaway, like a throwaway line, and he made the stars. Uh, we watch something like that, and it brings home what that actually uh, means. It's absolutely uh, astounding. Um, but even as believers, we often question God, don't we? Why did God do it that way? Why did God allow that to happen? Why isn't God doing anything about my situation? And those kind of questions are perfectly legitimate. We actually find those kind of questions in the Bible. Uh, They're legitimate provided we're not really saying, I don't think God knows what he's doing. Uh, Do you think it's likely that God, who created all that we've just seen, and far more, that's just a three-minute video, do you think it's likely that God doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to the way that he orders the universe and brings redemption to the whole of creation. But so often when we're in the middle of a bad situation, we can't see the wood for the trees and the doubts begin to creep in. Uh, We've reached a point in the book of Isaiah where the things that Isaiah was prophesying or, or one of those things has happened. Uh, Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylonians, the city has been sacked, and the people have been carried off to captivity in Babylon. As it says in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And you thought they were just the lyrics to a Boney M song, well now you know uh, where they come from. Uh, The situation was dire. After repeated warnings over a period of hundreds of years, the disaster spoken about by the prophets had come to pass. And this was a time for the people of Judah to reflect on what had gone wrong. And we know that the people of Israel had consistently rebelled against God. They worshipped idols of wood and stone and metal. Uh, They were sexually immoral. They were unjust. They paid no heed whatsoever to the plight of the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed among them. Uh, And those three complaints, idolatry, sexual immorality, and injustice, appear again and again and again in the works of the prophets. In Babylon, the people had time to take stock of all this. And when we find ourselves in a very difficult or distressing situation, we should take stock and think it through. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Firstly, it could be that we are the victim of circumstances or the victim of someone else's sin or negligence. I often come across people who blame themselves for things that have happened in their lives, even though they had absolutely no control over the situation. So sometimes bad stuff happens, and it's not our fault. And we have to uh, really make sure that that's firmly in our minds. The second option is that whatever it is we're facing is partially our fault. Um, Take the example of a relationship breakdown. Now, sometimes 
when a relationship breaks down, it is solely the fault of one person who might be cruel or abusive or unfaithful. But when it comes to relationship breakdown, I think in the majority of cases, it's a combination of both the people in the relationship. They're both partially to blame. So sometimes we are innocent victims of circumstances or other people's sin. Sometimes we're partially to blame for the the troubles that we face in life. And sometimes we're totally at fault. Uh, If I decide to drive along at 150 kilometers per hour whilst ordering something on Uber Eats on my phone and doing my makeup in the mirror, I don't wear makeup, but you you get the idea. (laughs) If I do all that and... I crash the car, then I am totally at fault. But there is one more option that isn't really an option. And that is that God is at fault. And no matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter what's happening in our lives, God is never at fault. God is perfect and pure and just. He loves us. And he wants the best for us. He loves this world and he wants the best for the whole of creation. The Bible tells the story of God's love, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do to restore creation to the perfect paradise that it was always meant to be. God is never at fault. So the people of Judah, exiled in Babylon, reflecting on what had gone wrong, uh, should have being able to see that it was their rebellion against God that had put them in this terrible predicament. And eventually they did realize why they'd been sent into exile, and they began to repent. But you know, when we face a terrible situation, whether we're innocent victims, whether we're partially at fault, whether we're totally at fault, God will still have compassion on us. He is longing to show us his compassion, his mercy, his love, and his grace. But he doesn't push those things on us. He he waits for us to turn to him. Our reading began with these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. When we're distressed, it's always good to be comforted. But God's comfort is so much more, so much more profound uh, than anything that any human being or group of people or organization or nation can offer us. When I was a child, I used to get a lot of ear infections, you know, this relentless throbbing pain in my ear. Nothing would take it away. I wouldn't be able to sleep. And my dad used to come in and he'd sit on the edge of my bed And he would sing to me. I think I was about five at the time. I found it really comforting. Uh, If you've ever heard my dad singing, you might be surprised to learn uh, that I found it comforting when I already had an earache. Uh, But I did. Uh, The thing is, even though I found it comforting, it didn't stop the earache. My dad could comfort me, but he was powerless to deal with the cause of the problem. He couldn't take the pain away. When God comforts us, it's different because he can change our hearts. He can change our perspective. He can deal with our guilt and our shame. He can change our situation and he can give us hope in a way that no human being ever could. 
And that's what we see here. God is saying to his people, be comforted. This time of exile is coming to an end. I'm going to change your situation. I'm going to do something new. Be comforted. When we read scripture, we see that God rescues his people as individuals uh, and as a nation time and time again in so many ways, but uh, three stand out in particular. Firstly, God liberated his people from slavery in Egypt. That's the focus of the book of Exodus. Uh, in that scenario, we could say that God's people were innocent victims. They were enslaved, oppressed and mistreated by the Egyptians and by Pharaoh in particular, who is probably one of the most malevolent and awful characters in all of scripture. Uh, God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. Then we have the Babylonian exile that we've heard so much about from the book uh, from Isaiah. Uh, while the people of Judah are, in a sense, uh, the victims of their much larger and more powerful neighbor, Babylon, uh, the book of Isaiah makes it perfectly clear that God's people have brought this catastrophe on their own heads. Even so, even though they've done it to themselves, God has compassion on them and brings their exile to an end. And Isaiah is pointing to this event, the return from exile, but he's also pointing to a much deeper and more profound event, a, a, a deeper and more profound rescue, the one to which the whole of Scripture points. Isaiah is heralding the Messiah who will rescue God's people from the curse of sin and death. Isaiah said that, that Jerusalem's sin had been paid for. Well, it hadn't been paid for by the 70 years of exile in Babylon. It was paid for with the body and blood of Jesus, who was crucified to pay the penalty for their sins and for ours. Remember that the crucifixion, the cross, works both ways through history. Verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, that verse is repeated in Mark 1, verse 3, in reference to John the baptizer, who prepared the way for Jesus. You, you'll often hear him called John the Baptist, uh, but he wasn't a Baptist any more than he was an Anglican, so I prefer to call him John the baptizer. Uh, next we read this. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Uh, so here we have a physical image to represent a spiritual truth, which is often the relationship between what we read in the Old Testament and the New. In other words, uh, the thing that puts a barrier between us and God will be removed. These mountains, this rough ground, these valleys, it's all going to be a straight path. The barriers between us and God are removed. I once did a 400-kilometer um, trek in northern Norway um, inside the Arctic Circle, and myself and a guy called Lawrence literally uh, walked out of the uh, Tromso airport uh, with all our kit on, and we kept walking until we arrived at Hammerfest Airport 10 days later. And the terrain kept putting up obstacle after obstacle. Uh, mountains, deep snow, boulder fields that went on for kilometers, uh, fjords, lakes, frozen lakes. And you, you can't see them, but if you end up on them, you're in big trouble. Because if you go through, uh, then 
uh, that's not a good situation. Uh, Fast-flowing rivers, uh, you name it. It was incredibly hard work and slow going. And just as there were so many barriers between us and our destination, Isaiah gives us this image of all these barriers that stand between us and God. The difference is, with a lot of hard work, we're able to reach our destination in Norway. The barriers that stand between us and God are totally insurmountable. But Isaiah gives this prophecy of the barriers being removed. Every hill made low, the rough ground level, the rugged places will become flat. Those barriers, of course, represent sin. And if we put our trust in Jesus, they're removed and our sin is dealt with and nothing can come between us and God. Of course, whenever we fall into sin, it's almost like we're rebuilding the barriers between us and God. Uh, you know, we, we sabotage our relationship with God on a daily basis. But when we turn to God in repentance, that is to say, when we're truly sorry for our sin and we turn away from it, we turn back to God, then God sweeps all the barriers aside. But you know, it's not just John the baptizer who was to prepare the way for the Lord. He prepared the way for Jesus's earthly ministry, but Jesus is coming back. And the job of preparing the way for him falls to us and all of God's people throughout the world. Uh, but this isn't something that we do in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. Who are we? Verse 6 says this, All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Uh, in other words, by ourselves, we are frail and corrupt. But if we think back to the video we watched at the beginning, the God of the universe, the God who created all of that, wants to work in and through us so that we might help prepare the way for Jesus' return. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And how are we to do that? Well, verse 9 tells us, You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. We've got good news to share with the world. And we need to lift up our voices. Of course, that doesn't mean literally shouting at people. There are plenty of shouty Christians out there. And I suspect uh, that they're not particularly fruitful in bringing people to Christ, if that's even what they're trying to do. But for us, us shouting from the mountaintops is being open about our faith speaking to other people about Jesus, uh, and as much as possible, we're not perfect, but as much as possible, being a godly example to the people around us. But there's one last obstacle that we need to ask God to remove, and that's our fear. Our fear. Verse 9 says, do not be afraid, but that's easier said than done. Out Sharing our faith can be really intimidating. Uh, I used to say to uh, the youth group that I used to lead in Tottenham. Uh, so this was um, uh, teenagers from pretty rough estates, um, from a variety of different sort of home backgrounds. Uh, most of them were very image conscious. And I used to say to them, as soon as you stop caring what other people think about you, then God will be able to use you in the most amazing ways. And I think that applies to all of us. 
As soon as we stop caring about what other people think of us, and we care most about what God thinks of us, then God can use us in the most amazing ways that we would never even imagine. When I go to uh, UniSQ, the, the university here in Springfield, you probably know that I'm a, a chaplain now, and I, I kind of wander around and I, I speak uh, to random people and I introduce myself. I say, hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the uh, chaplain here at uh, UniSQ. It's easy to remember Charlie Chaplin. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Charlie, I'm the chaplain here. Uh, just checking in to see how you're going. Uh, and that normally leads to a bit of a conversation. And at some point, I normally ask something like, do you have any kind of a faith? And you'll be amazed at the conversations that stem from that one simple question. People are hungry and thirsty for the truth. Uh, let's not withhold it from them. Let's offer it to them. Let's say to people, here is your God. They can take it or leave it. They can receive Jesus or not. But let us give people that option. Let's tell people the good news People are really eager to hear good news, to, to understand the, the spiritual realities of this world and the deep meaning of life beyond you know, work and shopping and just doing day-to-day stuff and looking forward to the next holiday. People want more than that. And we know uh, something that they would desperately love to hear. You might say, well, I could never do that. I could never do that. I used to feel exactly the same way until I got ordained and then I kind of have to do it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And remember, the God who created the universe wants to help us with this. The God who created the universe wants to help us with this. Uh, The truth is we're pretty pathetic on our own. But with God... Anything is possible. God, who made everything in that video that we saw and much more, has come in person. He's removed every barrier that stands between us and him. And he promises to return to claim those who belong to him. And as we move into Advent next week, that time of watching and waiting for Jesus' return, let's remember that we have a job to do while we're waiting We're to prepare the way for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think um, this um, chapter in Isaiah that actually connects your creative power, your wisdom, your knowledge uh, with your desire to reach out to people through us This is an amazing and powerful combination to know that you want to work in us and through us to bring people into your kingdom. And we pray that uh, this Advent, uh, as we watch and wait for Jesus' return, that we'll have a, a sort of growing sense of urgency to proclaim the good news with boldness and faith, recognizing that you will work through us if we're prepared to to have maybe what could be uh, difficult or awkward or intimidating conversations. And we pray that your spirit be with us this season and always. In Jesus' name, amen.